y'all doing this morning? I told y'all it always falls off when the kids leave, right? We're relying on the kids. It's a good problem to have. So this week, anybody ever have life that's like, it's hard? Anybody ever have like a hard life? Like two people, okay. So the rest of y'all come and get with me afterwards. You got to tell me how you do it. Because for me, life has a tendency to be kind of difficult. Now we agree, life is kind of difficult. Amen. One of the beautiful things in Scripture, Jesus actually talks directly on this subject and this situation. And I challenge you in the Bible to go and find a place where Jesus says, Life is fair and you will get exactly what you want. You're going to be searching for a while and your search will be unfruitful. On the contrary, in the book of John, Jesus goes as far as to say, in the Caleb paraphrase, life is not fair, but that's okay. Take heart, because I've already came here, right? And it's easy to read the Bible and say, what's the deal? Right? Every single time that you open this thing, you're not going to get encouragement. Simple, simple, simple facts. Why? Because we don't always need to be encouraged. Sometimes we need to be humbled. Right? Sometimes we need to be brought to our knees. I'm going to take us, anybody remember being in school? One of your favorite memories, I don't know about you, me personally, one of my favorite memories was this thing called, y'all ready for this? A field trip. Right? What does this mean? It means, teachers, you were, you were kids once, so you, you know, this isn't, I'm not going to break any news to you. But what a field trip means is, poor teacher, you're in for it. I'm going to give you a run for your money. I'm going to give you a ride. Right? And so we've been studying the book of Acts. Y'all familiar? You, you remember that? Yeah. yeah. You, you like that? It's been nice, right? We looked at the history so far, the history of the church. And right now we're in uh, chapter 6. We're about to be introduced to a guy named Stephen. Pretty faithful guy. But we've been really focusing on these guys. They're kind of the unspoken, unsung people. They're called Sadducees. Right? We've, they've been kind of bad guys so far. Anybody ever look at people and, and you, you have to realize that we're all human. And you want to get to the heart behind it. Right? You don't, just, you don't just wake up and be just mean. Maybe you do. Something leads to that place, right? Uh, and so this week, what you see on your... I'm muted. I'm pretty loud, I think. 
Oh, power off. Let's try this one more time. Low, low battery. Low battery. All right. Let me move this. Oh, look at that. Look at there, guys. Oh, now it's going to get worse. I'm going to take us on a little bit of a field trip. Let me pull this little, little boom thing closer to me here. I'm going to take us on a little... I can just avoid that, right? I'm going to take us on a field trip. Nobody got excited about that? Wow. There we go. I'm going to take us on a little field trip. We're going to go to the book of 1 Corinthians. Whoa. Right? We're going to go to the book of 1 Corinthians. I'm going to start us. Uh, once you have the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, if you will, stand with me. I'm going to read us the first five verses of chapter 2. So again, once you have 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, if you're able, please stand with us uh, for the reading of the Word of God. So 1 Corinthians, chapter 2. Verses 1 through 5. When I came to you, brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom, for I didn't think it was a good idea to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not persuasive words of wisdom, with a powerful demonstration by the Spirit. So that you, your faith might not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. I'm going to pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father God, just pray that today, Lord, we would come in with open minds, open hearts. We would allow you to mold us, God, to mend our hearts, our broken hearts, God, and just to make us, remake us in your image, God. And I just pray, Lord, that today, God, that... We would just allow the Holy Spirit to come into this place and work mightily on our behalfs, God. Just give us an openness to receive your word. Allow me to stand behind the cross, God, and just faithfully proclaim the things you've laid on my heart. In your name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. So in itself, that seems a little bit out of place. Let me read it for us one more time. When I came to you, I'm reading out of the HCSB. There's a joke behind the HCSB. I'll let you into that. It's called the Hardcore Southern Baptist Edition, right? Uh, and it's put out by Holman and Lifeway. Uh, but I really like the translation. Uh, my liking for the translation really comes and shines in the Old Testament. It's neither here nor there, but figured I'd give you that while we were here together. Uh, but in and of itself, this little chunk of Scripture kind of seems out of place. When I came to you, brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. Anybody know anything about Paul? Who's, who's telling us this right here? It's the Apostle Paul. And as we're, we're kind of learning and leaning into him in the book of Acts, it's a well-spoken man, well-educated. Last week we were introduced to a guy named Gamaliel, right? And this was the teacher of Paul. And we've continued to see in the book of Acts this kind of bad blood between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Familiar? I've pointed it out to you pretty much every time we're there. Right? Every time that we see it come to us. But there's bad blood. There is love lost between the two. 
And uh, there's, there's numerous reasons why, but it really largely hinges on this idea of resurrection. Right? And if we know, which we, we do, the mercy and the grace of Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we know that it all hinged on one thing, the resurrection. Right? The resurrection was the declaration I am who I said I was, and I came to save you. And it wasn't enough that he left us befuddled. He came back to us one one more time to rally the troops, so to speak, right? And there leading up to Pentecost, remember he had made this promise to us as we saw early in the book of Acts. He had made this promise to us. Wait. It seems like such a, a crazy command, right? To hear wait as a verb. Wait on the Spirit to come upon you. And he didn't just tell them just wait. He gave them specific instructions, a specific place to be. And he delivered on those instructions. He said, you've got to wait here in Jerusalem. And the Spirit will come among you. Not only will he come among you, he will come upon you. Notice I'm saying he, because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, or if you're using the King James, it may say the Holy Ghost is a very real, tangible member of the Godhead. It's not some genie in a bottle to bust out every once in a while when we need something. Or we hope that we have three magic wishes and we haven't exceeded those three magic wishes. No. He lives among us in our hearts. The immaterial has came into a material world. And really what I need to do today, if you've seen these, they've like all went missing. So that's not missing. They've all been taken. So that's a good thing uh, is we've... Put these out, and I can make more of them. i got a laminator. I'm pretty proud of it. I like to use it a lot. <laughs> uh, but these are, these are little gospel tracks that we've, we've made, and they focus on these four ideas of God, man, Christ, and a response. That's the gospel. We spent like four weeks really diving deep into what is the gospel, And some people left and they still had no idea what the gospel was. And that's okay. Now we've got a card to help you further not know what the gospel is. And that's okay. Because some things are revealed to us at different times. Right? This past Wednesday we are starting to transition from the the parables uh, into Jesus' I am statements in the gospel of John. And in true Caleb fashion, how did I get us there? By going back to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus. Right? If you've ever came and studied with me, you know why that doesn't seem like it makes sense, but it makes perfect sense in my my scatterbrain. Right? And so there's different ways and different mindsets, and I'm what is known as, y'all ready for this? This is going to be a complete surprise to you. I'm what's known as an improviser mindset. There are different mindsets and different tracks. And one is what is called an engineering mindset, right? And these guys are really into the details. 
But they get so fine-tuned into the details that often they miss the bigger picture. Anybody ever worked on a car? <laughs> Two people shook their head. We have, we have real mechanics on, on our hands, right? Uh, if you've worked on a car recently, there used to be this really simple thing called an oil change. Hey, guys, listen, your car needs that. They're not upselling you. you it really does need that. And if you've changed the oil in a car recently, uh, you've seen that engineers have gone, they've gone amok. Because oil filters used to be placed in a really strategic place where when you drained the oil, it was easy to drain, didn't make a big mess, it was easy to get to, easy to change. Why? Because you were supposed to do it yourself. And you know what happened? Engineers. Not to pit, not to pit these guys as bad guys, but engineers happened. And now these oil filters are hidden. Or not even hidden sometimes. Sometimes they're in an obvious place, but everything else in the world is in front of it. And ladies and gentlemen, if you have attempted to change your oil, you know that you make a big mess in the process. Right? Especially if you don't put the panel below to catch the used oil. Not that I've ever done that before. It was, it was a great foot prop. I will say that. Uh, but what happens is, like anything else in the world, man gets a hold of it and we go awry. Right? This beautiful world that we live in was created by God and it was created in perfection and beauty and then he brought these wonderful things called humans into the mix. You and I were those guys. Right? And then we did this really awesome thing and we brought sin into the world. Why? Because, again, engineers, guys, we like to run them up. We go awry, so to speak. And this Paul that we see here, let's be honest, if we're, if we're trying to put Paul in a box, which we like to put people in boxes, anybody agree? Yeah, there we go. Maybe in your mind you put me in a box. Maybe I put you in a box. But the beauty of life is doing life with one another and learning that whatever man-made construct and box that we attempt to put on people, God will shatter that. And we find that we really do balance one another. Anybody ever met a person that you balance? I hope so. Life is a lot about balance. See, we attempt to take this thing. Y'all ready for this? This is a man-made construct again. It's called fairness. Life is not fair. Eh. You ever heard a kid say that? Life's not fair. And then they nor there's normally like a, a particular stunt that goes along with it. We call those temper tantrums. Right? There's this really beautiful thing where... Grace is put on that child who's having a temper tantrum. You know the worst thing in the world you can do for a temper tantrum, and I might blow your mind here, is add to it. Right? The best way to diffuse it is hands off. As the French say, laissez-faire. Right? Hands off and let it fizzle. That's what God did. It would have been easy for God as we were 
attempting, not just attempting, but going ahead and bringing it, sin into the world to say, whoa, whoa, stop that. But he'd already told us, right? He'd already given us the foreknowledge to know what sin was. And he had the mercy to allow us to bring it in, even though he knew it would inevitably ruin the perfection of what he had created. And then we like to do this really awesome thing where we blame God and say the world is not fair, meh, meh, meh. And guess what? We become those same children stomping with that particular rhythm about how life is not fair. This past week, I'm going to be honest with you, life was not fair. I had a heat and air man at the house and he said, oh man, I'm, I'm sorry for you, life's not fair. And I said, yeah, I know, it's okay. And he had this moment where I guess normally when a heat and air person says, you're going to have to replace this whole thing, uh, I think normally the reaction is choice words and a certain adult version of that temper tantrum. But here we are in the middle of the yard. He gives me this bad news and says, whole thing's got to be replaced. I accept that. Why? Not in that moment because I'm great and I'm superior and I have this innate ability to be patient and kind and merciful. No, because in that moment I did put myself in his shoes. He's just a guy delivering the news. He didn't break my air conditioner. He didn't break the heat pump out in the yard. It's man-made. There's this beautiful thing about things that are man-made where they are not built to last at all. I could take you into this awesome story of a thing called planned obsolescence. Y'all ever use the light bulb? Yes? Wow. You've all used the light bulb. You, you guys can say, you can be involved, okay? Have you ever used the light bulb? Yes. There we go. If not, I was going to have you walk out uh, into the, the, the foyer back there and flip the light switch on and off so that you could come, be with the rest of us and say, yes, I've used it. Can I tell you something awesome? That light bulb was designed to last forever. And there are still some of them, two that I know of, and they're both from fire stations, that a hundred and whatever years strong, they're still going. And then there was this thing called the Phobos Cartel. What a... It sounds like a Monopoly name, doesn't it? The Phobos Cartel. But these guys, you know it was guys. They got together and they said, whoa, if we build these things to last forever, how do we keep making money? It would be a cycle that has an end, right? Can't do that. Let's go back to the drawing board. Most people, when you get a patent... It's the end result and you're happy, right? I've made this beautiful thing. So these guys said, whoa, 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 we've done too good. This thing can't last forever. I'm not making this up, y'all. You can go and look this all up. Phobos cartel, planned obsolescence. Yes, really go down that rabbit hole. The rabbit hole guy. But things that are man-made, by design, are not made to last forever. Me and you are not made to last forever in this form. 
But here's the beautiful thing. We think of this as the end result. My body is struck in by cancer. My body is struck in by these things. And I'm, I know someone in this crowd who has beat cancer. And as she has told me her story, the beautiful thing was that she never referred to it as an end result. It was never the final destination for her. She saw past it. That while her healing may not have came in this world on this side of eternity like all of us like to think, she knew one way or another she would be cured. She would be healed and be made right with her creator again. So here's Paul, a guy by all earthly standards who could come before you with wise, eloquent words and make some big elaborate plea and spiel. But he knew that wouldn't work. See, Paul was the most qualified man to go to the Jews probably on, on this side of eternity. Right? Very, very qualified very intelligent, knew all the Jewish customs, knew all the Jewish laws and traditions. And by human standards, what will we say? Who does he go to? The Jews to proclaim the gospel, right? It's because we're looking at things through human eyes. You know who God sent him to? The Gentiles. But no, 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 but he's qualified for the Jews. I know exactly. So here's Paul. See, Paul would have understood the rift between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. It's a pretty hard divide. And I can't keep telling you about the divide without weeks like today where we take a field trip and we examine the divide. For I didn't think it was a good idea to know anything among you except... Jesus Christ and Him crucified. See, he didn't go before the church at Corinth with presuppositions. He went with them, he went before them with nothing other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because he gave room for the Spirit. He knew Paul could only be so effective, right? But what God can do through broken vessels is far, far more than you and I could ever imagine. And he says, I came to you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. Very eloquent man, well-spoken, well-to-do, and how does he come before the people? Humbled. This is the same Paul who in a letter to the church at Rome says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Do you know what Paul did, guys? He took the Paul out of the equation and let God work. Upon this beautiful pulpit that is older than I am. I've seen pictures to prove it. I've attached a little, little sheet up here, and it's a constant reminder. You see, I used to 
come up to the pulpit for years. This big elaborate manuscript that I'd memorized. And I would come before the people. I would proclaim this manuscript because I thought that was what was effective. Y'all know Charles Stanley? He went to be with the Lord. And his son, Andy, neither here nor there. I'll get me started on that one. Uh, but his son finds in his preaching Bible, in Charles Stanley's preaching Bible, a note. And the note says, more prayer, less notes, more power, greater results. Anybody ever watch Dr. Charles Stanley up in the pulpit? It's a big pulpit. And you would imagine that there would have been some elaborate spread of notes because the guy knew it all, or so it seemed. I was lucky enough to go and really go down a rabbit hole. Seems like a common trend, right? I went down this rabbit hole, and there's pictures from the backside. Do you know what was on Charles Stanley's pulpit? A Bible and about a, I guess, four by six little paper that would have three to four things that he had to make sure that he had felt in preparation and in prayer that the Lord had impressed upon him. The rest of it was the Holy Spirit working through him. And in that moment, I, I was just struck. It's easy to, to get down. And it's easy to get so result-focused and driven that numbers becomes the thing, right? And these big, elaborate monologues. But at the end of the day, nine times out of ten, the things that people take with them are the things that came off the cuff from the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit speaks to people in a particular moment. We have an awesome office administrator here, and I get to talk theology and cool things with her. And it wasn't until the 60s and 70s, uh, at a college, two colleges, three colleges, called Wheaton and Gordon Conwell, and it'll come to me the third. But these are mainly Presbyterian-driven colleges. And this idea of Christ-centered exposition, I know these, I'll, I'll make it make sense. We'll get there. Christ-centered exposition came up in the 60s and 70s in these colleges. And what this means is, for years and years and years and years and years and years, roughly 18, 1900 of them, as man had went and proclaimed the gospel message in front of the people, which we've seen developing in the book of Acts, that looked something similar to what you see right here. And it dates even further back to a Jewish tradition where the rabbi or the Talmud would have his students, they're called apprentices in today's world, or uh, mathetes in the Greek. And these mathetes would come with their Talmud or their rabbi. They would sit with him. They would learn. And do you know what they would go and do? They would go and do the same thing. They would grow and they would advance and they would mature until the mathetes became 
the Talmud. And Jewish customs and traditions are able to expand in the way they did because people were committed. Not this place, but in some places, guys. This might be news to you, but people come and hear the word of God as a way to check a box off a list. Why? Because it's all they've ever known. It's all they've ever done. But there's no, there's no substance. There's no sustenance to it. I got to sit. Anybody ever had a conversation with me? No, it's never brief. Everybody's like, yeah, absolutely, Pastor. Uh, but I got into a little bit of a conversation right in the back while they were having choir practice last week with a lady. And she's basically in tears, weeping with me, and she says, there are so many people who never knew Jesus personally. They knew of him. They were acquaintances. Even. But they never knew him personally. Can I break your hearts real quick, guys? Acquaintances does not get into heaven. Merely knowing of Jesus is not sufficient to get you to heaven. That's why Paul here in this letter to the Corinthians is saying, I could have came before you. Man, I could have laid it out for you in a way that was nothing like you'd ever heard before. But it would have went right over your head. You know, I had a mentor tell me, you can't bring quarter words to nickel people. And I'm not calling you anything, but what I'm saying is, you have to bring the gospel to people in a way that they can relate and they understand. Right? If I bring seminarian terms before you, which sometimes I do just because I'm nerdy, but I, I try and explain them to you, but if I bring seminary terms before you and I never give you practical application, you're never able to go from Mathetes to Talmud. I've gotten to see by proxy uh, an experience of a young guy in our congregation who is getting to go through that same transition right now in his life that someone has presented to him, was curious of the gospel. And you know how you find out someone's curious of the gospel? You have gospel conversations with that person. Last week we talked statistics, right? You want me to bring more, more graphs back out? All right. We talk statistics. Logan, I'm going to brag on you, man. But Logan was able to see one of his coworkers, one of his friends. Everybody realize that your salvation experience is going to look different than the person right next to you. Right? Some people, it comes in an instant and in a moment where you're convicted, bam, it hits you, you raise your hand, and that's it. Some people, it comes through a prolonged process. Some people, it's just it's what they've known, and there was never really a time when they didn't know the gospel message. 
But it all hinges on whether or not we let the gospel message into our hearts. It would have been easy for Logan to go through life like any of the rest of us, never have this hard conversation with his coworker. Right? That would have been easy, right, Logan? But he didn't. He saw the opportunity and he had the conversation. Logan, did you have to put in a bunch of hard work and know a, a lot of difficult phrases and terminology for him to accept the Lord? No, you just opened the door. Right? See, I think a lot of us are afraid of gospel conversations because we're afraid of the follow-up. Right? What, okay, what if they are receptive and then they ask questions? You're not supposed to know it all. That might be a beautiful opportunity for you to learn and grow with that person. You can find answers together. Or maybe, just maybe, it's just a guy that opens the door. We spent a lot of time in the parables and we saw that everybody wants to be the, the harvester, right? You want to be the guy that comes and plucks the cucumbers. Some of y'all don't like cucumbers. You want to be the guy or the girl that comes and cuts off the watermelon from the vine. Yeah, I like watermelon. Simple truth is, it's not always the case. Right? Sometimes you're just the guy that planted the seed. Sometimes you're just the lady that walks by with the, whatever you call the little watering thing, and you pour the water out. We all play different roles in the gospel message. What is important, however, is that we learn and present the gospel message. Jesus came. He lived for me and you. Lived the perfect life that we couldn't. He died the death that we deserve. He carried our sins as far as the east is from the west. He rose on the third day carrying us away from those sins. And he ascended into the heavens with the descension of the Holy Spirit in mine and your life. It's the gospel. It doesn't have to be some over-glorified seminarian words. I would like to think that what we just explained there was pretty common English. That's it. That's the gospel. Now if Paul is saying, what if I would have came before these people, I present the gospel message in a way that, man, it made me puff my chest up, but they didn't understand it. There's no fruit there. Why? Because someone is ready to come and cut the watermelon from the vine, but the truth is the seed has never been planted. There's no watermelon to cut from the vine, guys. You don't know what role you will play in someone else's life unless you're willing to be a part. My speech, verse 4, and my proclamation were not persuasive words of wisdom, but with a powerful demonstration by the Spirit. So again, this week, guys, 
I was introduced to the concept, not introduced, I was reintroduced to the concept of life's not fair. If you don't believe me, my savings account will show you that life is not fair. But in that moment, in that time, in that experience, me and Jessica kind of have this moment where we realize, yeah, it's not fair, but what if we weren't in a position, what if we hadn't saved ahead to be able to take care of these things? Life's not fair, yes. But God is faithful. See, fairness hinges on earthly scales. Again, I told you all, this is a man-made construct. In other words, fairness is something we've made up. Right? Verse 5, so that your faith might not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. The Holy Spirit is still enough. It's still working. See, I told you that you can read it and see that that, seems, that passage seems a little out of place. But let me bring you somewhere real quick. Flip back just one page in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. I'm going to wrap us up here, guys. Now, here's Paul. We saw the after effects of him saying what happens when you proclaim from the Holy Spirit. Well, let's look at what leads up. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. I'm going to read through 25 for us really quick. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is God's power to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the understanding of the experts. Where is the philosopher? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of the message has been preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. One more time, we Preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. God does not judge or even rule by earthly standards or qualifications. God does not want or desire our best through worldly standards. He wants us to forsake all else and pursue Him. And that's enough. That's why the message of Christ and Him crucified is still sufficient to save lives today. 
Now, I told y'all, all this was to lead us and explain to us the difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And I know what you're thinking. How in the world? Right? Anybody ever heard of an oxymoron? It sounds like such a dirty word. An oxymoron. My favorite oxymoron, I remember being a kid. You ever been to Sam's Curb Market on Sayre Street? Some of y'all grew up poor just like me. I love you. Right? And if you go into Sam's Curb Market, it is the stinkiest place you will ever be. But the best seafood. And I remember being a kid and going in to this place. My, my grandma often wouldn't go in with my grandpa. Again, she, even up to his death, would not go in places with him. Why? Because my grandpa must have been who I got it from to be a bit long-winded, to like long conversations. But I remember being a kid in the Sam's Curb Market, and it was my introduction to an oxymoron. Papa, what in the world? If you've ever heard Judah... You've heard Judah say, what the world? That was, that was like me as a kid. But I remember being in Sam's Curb Market and I see jumbo shrimp. Excuse me. And then here I am, a little kid. Pops is like, what is that? It's a jumbo shrimp. How can it be large, small? Right? And the difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees hangs on an oxymoron. They cannot get past the oxymoron. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah very, very clearly speak of a crucified or a fallen Messiah. That is an oxymoron. The word crucified is synonymous with cursing, weakness, shame, failure, and the ultimate loss. So much so that in the book of Deuteronomy, it's said that he who is crucified or he who is hung on a tree is cursed. The word Messiah, honor, victory, strength, and the great successor. So how in the world can you have a cursed victor? That's what hung the Sadducees up, guys. See, I told you, as we've studied the book of Acts, they really don't go past the first five books. They call it the Torah, the Pentateuch. They don't go past that. Why? Because there are plenty of oxymorons to be found in the prophets. And they are so earthly set that they are not heavenly bound. They can't have things be awfully good. They can't have things be bittersweet. They can't have a civil war. They can't have a definite possibility. There's no exact estimate for them. No extinct life. You can't grow smaller. 
can't be only choice, and there definitely can't be random order. But God reigns supreme in the oxymorons. The things that don't make earthly sense are the things that introduced an upside-down kingdom that brought us a crucified Messiah. And the Sadducees cannot get past that. But we preach Christ and Him crucified. You can come on up. Guys, it's, it's easy. It's so easy to get caught up in the what ifs. beautiful truth is that the gospel message is all we ever needed to be made right with God. Jesus says toward the end of his coup d'etat, his beautiful sermon on the mount. That was a oxymoron by the way, guys. A beautiful coup d'etat. Matthew chapter 7, well, the microphone decided to start working again. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened.